TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys. I'm Dr. Lawrence Tam. Dr. Damien Kristoff. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is The Wellness Guys Show. This episode is brought to you by The Wellness Summit, a one day to change your life. Brought to you by all the speakers of The Wellness Couch. Find more information about The Wellness Summit, go to thewellnesssummit.com. Now, today's episode is one of the most interesting episodes that I think we're going to have had on The Wellness Guys Show. And I'm going to let Damien Kristoff introduce, because you can hear my voice is a bit husky today. It's a little deeper than normal. I lost my voice two days ago. So I'm going to let pass the baton to Damien to introduce our special guest today. <laughs> Thanks, LT. It's a very sexy voice, I must say. I know that Margie's loving your voice. We have a very special guest with us tonight. Um, her name is Margie Smith, and she's a, a geneticist. And in terms of uh, the amount of knowledge that Margie has inside her little brain, it probably amounts to 10 times. What she knows or what she's forgotten amounts to 10 times what I've learned. She knows so much about this stuff. She's an expert in her field. And uh, and the whole um, area of epigenetics and nutrigenomic control over the cell and understanding what food is best for you, what nutrients are best for you, what lifestyle is best for you is uncovered by people such as Margie. And uh, Margie owns a company called Smart DNA. I'd like to welcome Margie to... Uh, the wellness guys tonight. So welcome, Margie. Thanks very much, Damien. Margie, it's great to have you here. And uh, and Margie, you and I have known each other for some time. We've known each other for I don't know, it must be is it three years, four years maybe. And uh, I've been working with you over time and seeing your work develop and evolve and continue to improve and get better and better and better. Um, Margie, what is it that you actually do? Can you tell us a bit about Smart DNA? So the, the whole idea behind Smart DNA, Damien, was really to show that, you know, one size doesn't fit all. So we're talking about personalization for health. So what works for one person may not work for another. Yet, you know, most of the public are, are operating from the principles that we are, you know, indeed one size fits all. And that's why, for example, you know, 50% of the time a Mediterranean diet for cardiovascular health will actually make that person worse, will actually not improve their cholesterol parameters. So, you know, by understanding these very simple concepts, we can actually, you know, as you were saying earlier, remove the blanket and actually start getting very personalized. So that blanket has your name on and those um, interventions or preventative health measures really are targeted towards you. So it hits the bullseye for each individual person. Nice. You said something just there that uh, Mediterranean diet uh, may actually make someone's cholesterol worse. Now, I remember you and I talking in the very, very early days and you said that olive oil can be bad for some people. Is that the case? Yeah, olive oil, unfortunately, um, if you're, you're a lipid type C, as we classify those individuals, I mean, they're, they're really what I call our nutritional canaries because those individuals fall into a high cardiovascular risk group and they really are nutritional canaries in the sense that they are um, a group of individuals who will, will essentially fall over um, on, a, on a higher fat diet. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, really, um, it's really important because, you know, uh, whilst we may, we may laugh about that, um, that kind of image, it's that they represent about 
25% of the world's population. So, you know, that's a, a quarter of the world's population have this very ancient gene constellation. And coupled with that, you know, is the use of olive oil. And those individuals start forming oxidized LDL. And that's really important to understand that oxidized LDL is bad. It forms atherogenic plaques. So really it's about not understanding that and not using olive oil, like changing the oil to a more suitable oil for those individuals. And the other aspect is that um, alcohol, we're all told that alcohol is great. You know, it's really good for your heart health. But once again, if you fall into that nutritional group, um, we know that especially for males, and this is where we start having sex-specific differences now, but especially for males with that very ancient gene constellation, um, it can suppress your HDL or your good cholesterol and actually elevate your LDLs. So it's really important to understand uh, how powerful food can be in terms of your heart health. And there's just one other aspect that I want to touch on briefly, which is, you know, our regular cholesterol profiling in Australia actually doesn't measure the very thing that's going to kill us. And it doesn't measure small dense LDLs. Mm. So we, we use a, a company in Germany to, um, to actually measure total cholesterol. It will measure HDL, LDL, but it will also target in on small, dense LDLs. So the smaller the particle size, the more atherogenic they are. And more than that, it will also measure oxidized LDLs. So we recently had a, a, an example of a, a gentleman who basically falls into this high cardiovascular risk group um, you know, to all appearances, his cholesterol profile looks completely normal. But when we measured his oxidized LDLs, they were off the scale. So yeah. if you That's... can imagine, yeah, on a regular cholesterol profile, um, you know, he looked like he was okay and he would have been sent home. Look, everything's fine. But the truth is that it's, it's far from that. You're going yeah. to something. That's, that's so important, isn't it? That it's actually the the type of cholesterol that's there that's just so much more important than, than how much cholesterol is there overall. And I know we've had Peter Dingle on the show talking about that. We've had Cindy O'Meara on the show talking about that. And, and it's just really important. Um, what I wanted to ask you about, Mug, is we're, sort of, we're talking here about DNA and how that can impact on how you respond to different things in your environment. And you know, we've talked a number of times on the show about epigenetics and how you know, perhaps what you have in your DNA isn't as important as what you use in terms of your DNA and how that can be controlled by your lifestyle. Um, so I'm, just, I'm curious as to how this fits into that, that message and that picture as well. Yeah, so it's a really important aspect for people to understand that a number of the gene changes in our screen are actually in a very important part of um, the gene. It's in the promoter region, and that promoter is a little bit like a light switch. And uh, depending on your nutrients that you're actually using, you can either you know, upregulate or turn that gene off, or you can actually turn that gene down. You can switch it off. So an example would be, um, TNF-alpha, which is a pro-inflammatory cytokine. It's a, it gets fired up when we're in inflammatory states. And if you have the gene variant in that promoter, a very simple way to actually turn that inflammatory status off is to use omega-3s. So there's a very simple way to do that. Another gene is actually in the cardiovascular panel. It's called APOA1. It's, it's involved in our HDL regulation, our good cholesterol regulation. So 
simply by adjusting the amount of polyunsaturated fatty acids in your diet, you can naturally elevate your HDL. And I think so, that that's a, sorry, Damien. So you can actually, if you take your polyunsaturated fatty acids down, so you bring them down, have less polyunsaturated fat, you'll actually improve your HDL. Is that what you're saying? Yes, for individuals with that particular responsive gene variant, you can can definitely do that. So it kind of seems intuitive, doesn't it? Sort of lower yeah. lower your PUFAs and you'll push your HDL back up. But then there's a group of individuals with their gene variant that the more PUFA you give them, the higher their HDL will go. <laughs> so, wow. It's a bit so, confusing, a bit of a minefield. It's unbelievable because what you're saying is that some people can have coconut oil and other people can't and other people can have um, olive oil and some others can't. Is fish oil good for everybody? Yeah, I mean, fish oil for that uh, very ancient gene constellation, what you have to look for in their cholesterol profile is that their LDLs are not being pushed up, for example. So, But I haven't seen a case of that. It's certainly reported in the literature, but I haven't had that reported back to me from any practitioners using our service. So, yeah, you, you have to watch that. I think the thing about coconut oil is, though, that because it's that intermediate chain fatty acid, it's preferentially burnt. And yeah. that very ancient gene constellation often does very well using coconut oil. Yeah. Margie, I just got a quick question. I mean, I th I've done the test myself. I know Damien has too as well. And I, I remember reading my report. But when you're actually taking the test and you're, you know, you're reading DNA, you're not actually testing for the DNA of me as of now, right? You're testing the DNA that things that I cannot change. Is that correct? Just so I want to just so that people can understand what you're actually testing for. Yeah, so we're, we're testing what I sort of refer to as sort of more static elements in your DNA that we can't change. Mm. Um, so if you get your gene test done and you put an intervention in place with your practitioner um, and then you get tested again, those gene elements will still be the same, but they actually are parts of pathways. So, for example, if you look at your methylation pathway, which sort of comes back to what Brett asked about in terms of epigenetics, that methylation pathway, I often call it sort of epigenetic precursors because if your MTHFR enzyme uh, is faulty, you've got a, a, a variant um, in, that, in the MTHFR gene, then you know your enzyme activity may be reduced by 70%. Now, there's nothing that we can actually do about that, but what we do is we get that individual, if they need to take activated folate, not regular folate, and by doing that, we actually sidestep that part of the pathway and move further along the pathway. So by taking the activated form, um, we're actually doing what our bodies can't. Mm. And, you know, and that's really important because that methylation pathway is very much involved in epigenetics. I mean, I'm grateful to understand that, that you know, it involves our heart health, our brain health. Every repair mechanism in our body requires methylation. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting, Margie. Because you know, when you sort of read about the epigenetics, they certainly make it seem as though um, you know, epigenetically, you can control, I guess, all of your genes and whether they're switching on and whether they're switching off. But it seems to me that you're suggesting that that's not the case. That there's some bits we sort of can control epigenetically and some bits we can't. Is that correct? So, in terms of um, epigenetics, I mean, obviously, it comes down to things like you know, our, our thoughts will control our genes as well. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so it's a pretty complex area. But um, when it comes to, to methylation pathway, for example, we 
you really do need to put an intervention in place because that's not, I guess, an epigenetically controlled region. It's actually um, part of how that enzyme functions. And by having that particular gene variant, you really can quite markedly decrease the function of that particular enzyme. And if that enzyme's faulty, then it's certainly going to affect other epigenetic mechanisms occurring in your body. Because you need you need those methyl groups. So, Margie, you, I know I'm even I'm getting confused, and I've been doing this for a couple Sorry. of years. So, <laughs> <laughs> so are, you, are we saying now? Are we saying now that um, that epigenetics is more um, a mental or a, or a mindset approach to control of the genes, or are we saying that? Um, epigenetic control, which Bruce Lipton um, eloquently describes as being the control outside of or above the gene. In other words, saying that any external factor has the ability to control or affect the way in which a gene might behave. Are we saying that um, epigenetics isn't that or are we saying that it is that? So, so Damien, epigenetics is all of those environmental things. I was all just making them. a point. Yes. All, I was okay. just making a point. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, what we think, how we feel controls our genes. I mean, look, if you... We know that there are many examples of, for example, a, a, a mum who's pregnant. If she actually diets while she's pregnant, um, she has a much higher risk of actually then having a child who becomes obese during the course of its lifetime. So mum's dieting when they're pregnant is not, not a very good idea. Wow. We're, we're also told that, you know, women should take folate in the uh, first trimester of pregnancy. We also know that if women continue beyond that and take folate during their pregnancy, the entire pregnancy, then they uh, have an increased risk of having a child with asthma. So it's really important to understand that basically (laughs) everything we eat, drink, feel controls our genes epigenetically epigenetically but we really need to make sure that we're not following that sort of storyline of well if a little bit of it's good then a whole bunch of it must be really great (laughs) Mm, yeah that's a good point isn't it because just because one little bit is good for you doesn't mean a bucket load of it's really good for you that's a great point margie um we had another conversation once once upon a time as well and you mentioned that um in, in many people that they crave carbohydrates and and for someone like me who's skinny, I have no idea what it feels like to not be able to control those cravings or those carbohydrates. But you've got a term for that because it's related to a gene and you call it the addictive brain. Can you talk to us more about that, please? Yeah, so so Damien, just as two points about what you've said. One is that you have a um, – I'm sure people won't mind. Hopefully you won't mind either, Damien. You actually have a variant in a – most of us have this very ancient form of PPAR gamma. You have the newest form of PPAR gamma. You are one of those people who are probably destined to be slim and trim for the rest of their lives. Thanks, <laughs> Mum. Thanks, Mum. Thanks, Dad. And, and the other part is that, you know, you're sort of wiring um, in terms of your genetics, um, in terms of addiction, is actually very low. So, you know, for you to understand what it is to be addicted to carbohydrates is just about impossible <laughs> to a certain extent. So you, you, you're really, you're lucky on two levels, you know. Um, you don't have that. Up. Sorry? 
Well, Brett and, and Brett and Lawrence are probably the same. But for for us, there's a lot of people out there who are slim who actually do get involved in weight loss programs to assist people to lose weight, and it can be quite challenging for those people to understand what it might be like for someone who might have uh, genes that would be, um, can I say, switched on and in creating this addictive mind or addictive brain. Can you talk more about that? Because I think there's people out there going, but I just can't get enough of the stuff. And and I just thought it's because they had A-type blood, but you're saying that it's because of something else. Well, what, what I'm saying is that people need to understand that, that their brain basically has an agenda and that may be completely different to what the individual has in mind and that may be weight loss. So um, if you're a person and you you are on a diet and you're craving carbohydrates, what your brain is actually saying to you, and it needs to be translated, your brain's actually saying, I need tryptophan. Processed carbs are full of tryptophan. So when, a, when an individual is, is craving those sweet, sugary foods, their brain is actually asking them for tryptophan. If you, you give in and you, you eat these sugary foods, you actually also have a moment of feeling reasonably happy because you've released dopamine. Your brain wanted some tryptophan to release dopamine so you could have this moment of happiness. And that's part of the addiction around eating sweet and sugary foods is that you get a burst of dopamine, which is that feeling of of happiness and, and feeling a bit more relaxed. So what individuals need to understand is that it's not them being weak-willed. It's just that their brain has another agenda and it's actually asking for tryptophan. So, um, Damien, I'm sure you'll know that there are many ways, other ways to actually get tryptophan. I do. I do. Like turkey, for example. Turkey is a great way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are other amino acids you can and can take it in that form as well. So That's um, true. So you can supplement, yeah. You can, you can supplement or you can use other foods such as turkey. And I think people need to understand that that uh, having a, some protein will actually achieve the same effect as having that sweet, sugary carbohydrate. And, nice. And that's nice. And so, you know, I think for, for individuals too who have that, um, that sort of addictive brain profile, you know, stop beating yourself up and understand that your brain has a biochemistry and it needs those amino acids, but there are other ways of actually achieving that same end result without upsetting a weight loss program. And Margie, so, where, oh, you go, Brett. You sorry, go, Brett. mate. Where's where's the line there, Margie? Like in terms of the brain's need for that tryptophan. I mean, how much of that then is is as a result of their genetic profile, and how much of that is because I guess they've fed that addiction previously and perhaps set up a bit of an addictive cycle there too. Like you know, you're obviously saying that that perhaps by eating protein, you can you can feed that in different ways, and maybe I don't know. I'm assuming maybe tone that down a little bit by not feeding that. Is is that fair to say as well? Yeah, I th- look, some individuals, you know, are wired to, to in essence, need more tryptophan or, you know, their brain asks for more of those sugary, carbohydrate-type foods. Look, other people will say, to you, I don't know what the problem is. You just don't put it in your mouth. I can guarantee you that those people do not have that same addiction-type profile. And it's much easier for them to lose weight. And and indeed, they don't even understand why it is that, um, you know, their friend, for example, may still be craving those foods. Um, it's just not within their paradigm. So you're right. I mean, I'm sure that we can make ourselves even more addicted. But, um, 
some of it's just around understanding and giving yourself a break that your brain is wired differently as well. And that's part of that personalization. It's about understanding that. And sometimes it's just a relief to know that, that, you know, you're not this terrible, weak-willed person. It's just that your brain has a higher requirement for tryptophan. Mm. It's such a good point. It's a good point. Margie, there's one thing though, I suppose, is going around the wellness circles at the moment. There's a lot of different uh, eating programs that people can do. They can do anything from vegetarian to vegan to Atkins Paleo to Par Method to blood type, all these different types of things. And many people go hard out at one particular thing. Is there any implication for doing a particular type of eating? Like, if you just followed one particular line without knowing enough about your DNA, could that be disadvantageous could that be bad for you or is it just that if you just do things sensibly like go back to very primal styles then you should be pretty much right yeah i think that that that's that kind of um one size fits all with many different approaches i mean you know smart dna's philosophy is that we would like people to have a heart health based eating program so you know some people will uh, function very well on about 35% good fats in their diet. But if you're that nutritional canary group that I talked about earlier on, that's about 20% good fats in your diet. So I always get a bit cautious around, um, you know, picking a, a diet because there's one thing losing weight and there's another thing driving up your heart disease at the same time. And I think that's what people run the risk of doing. But I think that's it, Damien. There are probably some very sensible eating principles that most of us can adopt, but it's about being a little bit more targeted and smarter um, in terms of that. Mm. What about uh, vitamin D? I know you sort of mentioned it before. Like, well, how, is, how important is the vitamin D from your perspective, you know, with the smart DNA stuff, um, and what do you guys come up with? The vitamin D is just implicated in so many diseases that um, basically what we can show, first of all, is a gene variant. Um, called CDX2 and if you have that particular variant your um, uptake of vitamin D uh, in your intestine is just so much lower and um, it, you know we're basically helping people to reduce their cancer risk uh, by getting their vitamin D levels higher for a start off. Um, even people with type 1 diabetes um, have, you know, autoimmune diseases have lower levels of vitamin D. So it's really important to understand your capacity to um, utilize vitamin D um, and get yourself out of the at-risk type zone and get your vitamin D levels higher. So, you know, practitioners, I've had practitioners do our test often to, um, to understand it for themselves at a personal level and um, I've had conversations with practitioners who told me, look, there'll be no problem with my vitamin D levels, even though they have that particular gene variant. And the lowest reading that I, I heard back from a practitioner was 15. But that practitioner was out in the sun. They couldn't understand why it was so low, but it came back to that gene variant. So it's really important to understand how your body um, processes or produces vitamin D you want to reduce those risks. And what's the reason for those gene variants, Margie? I mean, is that because people came from, originally their genes came from certain regions of the world that had different amounts of sunlight? Or, you know, what, what's the sort of theories around that? It's all around, you know, how we've moved around the planet in evolutionary terms. You know, we started off in Africa and 
and then moved <laughs> moved around the planet. But then the level of sunlight's also changed. The if you have a darker skin, often um, those individuals will have lower le- levels of vitamin D. So it's a it's a whole bunch of factors, Brett, that contribute to to vitamin D levels question about intuition like i mean obviously um from for example i I have in in my particular gene um analysis one of the things that i they found was that if i took caffeine um, alcohol and i believe it was high sugar um, into my diet it was actually created a a huge problem for you know my gene type and naturally i actually don't do any of those things which so i guess that's you know makes me feel healthier what about like people just listening to their bodies and, and and without um having to you know, know exactly what, what goes on DNA. Like if, if they don't have a DNA analysis in front of them, you know, is there a way of just like listening to your body that, you know, uh, with intuition in terms of, you know, picking the right foods to eat? I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. There's only really one group of people that I find haven't lost that art to understand their bodies and that's practitioners. They seem to just have that innate ability to understand their bodies. But for the rest of us, I really think it's important to have this greater insight um, and to see yourself as an individual and and not use a one-size-fits-all approach to your health and certainly to preventative health as well. I mean, look, um, if I can just pick um, one more example very quickly, and and that's detoxification, um, you know, through our liver, so phase one and phase two detox. One of the things I want to say is that, you know, as as a female, our estrogen processing occurs through our liver. So you can have gene variants um, in terms of processing environmental toxins that make us really vulnerable to everything that masquerades as an estrogen in our environment. So it's really very critical to understand your your gene profile your, in terms of your ability to detoxify and process estrogens. So that's that's absolutely critical because what happens is for example, PAHs, um, getting them from plastic drink bottles, for example, they basically get processed through these CYP enzymes or CYP enzymes. But what happens is it gets misprocessed and it gets caught up in our DNA. You're thinking, wow, how does that happen? It just gets caught up within the little bridge of the helicy. And mm-hmm. what they do is they're really clever. They actually lock down our DNA. So our little wow. proofre- our proofreading enzymes that come along and flag it, they can't see it. They literally cannot see it because what that plastic has done is locked our DNA down and then it gets caught up in our DNA and it sits there and it becomes toxic. Chief. So, yeah. So, so, the, so, sorry, Damien. No, you're, this is so good. This is so much great stuff. PAHs are polyaromatic hydrocarbons, right? So that's just for those people out there. We've spoken about those before. But, you know, a lot of women on a daily basis take a little pill every single day blindly yeah. thinking that that's going to be safe and it's going to be okay because their doctor told them that it's going to be all right. And they're using it for contraception or for whatever else they're using it for and, uh, and they think it's going to be safe. And now it's not safe for everybody, is it? Because it's it, you've just alluded that some women actually struggle with the clearance of estrogen. What, what should women right. do here? Well, I mean, don't don't take up those estrogens. Don't use the pill. Don't use HRT. I mean, HRT now really has progestin in it, but we've got a gene variant. We look at the progesterone receptor, and 10% of females 
have the variant as I do. And, uh, you know, I cannot use progestin. So that's supposed to be, you know, okay for us to use. But 10% of females don't process progestin properly. And uh, that makes us vulnerable to breast and uterine cancer. So you've got to start stacking up, you know, everything that masquerades as xenoestrogen in our environment, sunscreens, PAHs, you know, IVF treatment, for example, is another example of that, using the pill. Um, And then also look at your progesterone receptor and how you actually process progesterone as well. So if you have enzymes that are basically more focused towards procarcinogen activation, then you really need to start looking at your nutrition and your environment because you're going to start collating or uh, getting those products caught up in your DNA and then they become the drivers of your DNA. Mm. So it's pretty scary that they they can't be repaired and that's just a a, a recent finding from the University of Texas where they actually showed how these PAHs shut down our DNA, lock it down. Margie, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. I mean, I'm going to have to pull out my genetics book again to understand some of these stuff that you just mentioned. So thank you so much. Now, for those people who are listening, um, the fans of the show who are listening and want to know, maybe they want to get their genes tested, uh, we'll have to organize a special thing for you. Uh, Damien and I usually do a, a whole seminar around this, and it's called The Wellness Blueprint. So um, if you're interested, maybe just go to thewellnessblueprint.com.au, and uh, we can give you some more information on how to get your DNA tested. Now for practitioners out there who are listening to the show who want to know like how can I bring this um, type of um, you know getting DNA testing to my practice then um, you know what we'll have a special uh, contact for you. So I think the best thing for you is just contact us. Uh, send me an email at info at and we'll send you the correct details so that you can uh, pursue uh, with Margie to get these testing involved in your practice. Now, I've lost my voice simply because for the fact that I've been so excited this week. Now, I know this episode is not going out for a lot for a couple more weeks, but this week's been a big week for the wellness guys because we launched the wellness couch. And so uh, four shows now are on live every week and we hit the top one, two, three, I, th- I think actually four out of the top five shows are actually of the Wellness Guys Couch show. So congratulations to you fans for sticking with us and also spreading the word. Now what we can do um, to, you know, coming up in next year in March is that we're going to have the Wellness Summit, which is the first uh, live event we've ever actually ever done. Uh, bring together the best speakers from the wellness couch and uh, we're going to be speaking all on one day. So if you're interested in that, go to thewellnesssummit.com and uh, register and get your tickets soon. There's a special early bird price for those first hundred people who register. So thank you so much, Marky. Really appreciate your time. Boys, just congratulations for doing so well with the the wellness couch and uh, spreading the word out there. And uh, we're definitely starting to change people's lives. So please, Make sure you go to thewellnessguys.com still and leave your comments below this particular episode. And let's carry that conversation on on Facebook because if you ever had your DNA tested, let's tell tell us what you have found and how it has impacted your lives. Until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Couch. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.